Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. We've got plenty to get to on today's show. We'll get into the conference championship games and a particularly big name player who announced his retirement yesterday. But we want to start the show today with the class action lawsuit filed by former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores against the NFL, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos and Miami Dolphins. There's a lot to unpack in this story, but it, it what somehow feels the least surprising part of this is the NFL's supremely flawed and offensive hiring practices, which this suit is giving voice to. Uh, Brian Flores has text messages from Bill Belichick showing that they had already made up their mind prior to interviewing Flores for that particular head coaching job. Uh, There's allegations of Stephen Ross offering him $100,000 per loss to tank during the 2019 season tampering with an unnamed quarterback who I think we all know who that quarterback is. He did not play for the Miami Dolphins. Again, uh, a ton to unpack. So let me welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. There's a lot here, guys, and we're going to do our best to unpack all the layers of this lawsuit. But I want to start by discussing, in my opinion, what Brian Flores is sacrificing by putting his name on this lawsuit, making this thing public, going directly at the NFL, multiple franchises, and, and putting his face to this is jeopardizing his coaching career. And whether or not he ever coaches in the NFL again, we'll see. But it, it's hard for me to believe that he's going to be able to get a job again. And so I just want to get your guys' thoughts on this because I, I have nothing but respect for him taking that leap and, and sacrifice, in my opinion, of saying, I know I'm never going to coach football in the NFL again, but I can't stand for this and I need to make it public. I think the wildest part about this is that he's currently a finalist and not just for one job for two NFL jobs for the saints and for the Texans. So he's Flores came out and said that, you know, he told both organizations that he had no plans of pulling this lawsuit back, even if, you know, as a coaching, as a continue this coaching search. So yeah, kudos to him, man. He, he, went out of his way to say that it's bigger than me. It's bigger than what's going on right now. And I think the best case scenario to get out of this, assuming this is what he wanted, would be that there's just an overcorrection one way. And now we saw it today. Like there's uh, the Bears hired um, the Colts secondary coach, I believe, as their defensive coordinator. So there's one black coordinator. So maybe we do see some type of overcorrection, but it was it was needed. I mean, long overdue. 
people are pointing to, hey, there's Mike Tomlin. Like, <laughs> that's you're you're arguing against yourself by doing that. I, I don't think people understand that, but it's it's tough just because it's it's an awkward conversation for a lot of people because no matter how many how much evidence we present, no matter how long this has been going on, you know, there's still people that are, again they'll point to one outlier who just so happens to be a Hall of Fame coach, and that should be you know a reason to have more black coaches, and instead. People like Flores, who took a terrible organization. Like Miami is not good. Miami has not been good for a long time. And then led them to back-to-back winning seasons, despite what their owner wanted, which is why we're here in the first place. Um, I, we can go down and down and down all the things in this. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it to you before I talk too much on this subject, Justice. The the one thing that I will say, if we're just talking about, you know, Flores kind of thinking just beyond himself, you know, and, and thinking for others in, in doing this. The weirdest thing to me was the insiders, the Mortensons saying like, hey, this needed to be done for 50 years. You know, I, I you know, go Brian Flores and Schefter retweeting Kenny still saying, you know, they need diversity and ownership and stuff. Schefter was just like name dropped in the Washington emails, calling Bruce Allen, who was functionally running, you know, the entire Washington organization, Mr. Editor, like, these insiders that are the same people who like lubricate um, the masses in terms of like how we agenda set and talk about both these coaches and these, these coaches as candidates are now saying like, wow, I can't believe they would do that to them. And it's like, you guys are part of the problem too. Like you guys being kind of the conduit for these agents, like it's the same thing, man, agents and ownership, frankly, it's not just agents, but that just struck me as very like, wolf in sheep's clothing yeah i i totally agree and i i want to get into that and the who we assume unnamed quarterback in this lawsuit is deshaun watson i i think we can say that and and the way that that was reported but before we do uh brian flores was doing some media interviews this morning after the lawsuit was announced yesterday so i i want to hear from brian flores in his own words why he decided to to file this lawsuit and what was kind of the final straw for him to say, yes, this is something that I want to do even in the fact that it might jeopardize my career. File this lawsuit, which you are aware is obviously going to have enormous repercussions. What was the tipping point for you through your experiences that made you feel this was something you needed to do? Well, I mean, just, you know, I've been on, you know, several interviews over the years. um, And, Look, I mean, this is we didn't have to file a lawsuit for, for the world to know that there's an, an issue from a hiring and firing um, um, practices so in the National Football League. Why did that, that's um, correct. A I lot of people just, have yeah. pointed this out. So why did you feel you needed to do this? Because we need change. That was that was that was the number one reason. Um, and I know there's there's a sacrifice, there's risk to that. But um, at the end of the day, um, we need change. We need change. Um, I, I know many very capable um, black coaches, um, some of my staff who I know um, if given an opportunity or when given an opportunity are going to go and do a great job on their interview. Um, and I would just hate for that uh, to, be a, to be a waste. Uh, and I think, you know, we need to change the hearts and minds of, of the people making those decisions. That's why we're. That's why you know we filed the lawsuit. Who are those people? Who specifically do you think needs the change? Uh, the owners uh, uh, of the NFL.
that was Brian Flores joining ESPN's Get Up this morning and and explaining what kind of forced him to to move forward with this lawsuit and, and decide that he was going to put his face on this and, and make this statement to the league. And, you know, in a league that ha- that is 70 percent black, we've talked about it a ton. Uh, offensive coordinators like the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, who has been through countless coaching cycles now and has as good of a resume as you're ever going to see from an offensive coordinator, a, a Super Bowl win, record setting offenses that he is a major part of. Andy Reid going to bat for him over and over and over again. I've heard Andy Reid dozens of times explain, it's not just me. Eric Bieniemy is a huge part of what we do here. Eric Bieniemy calls plays too. It's not just me. I, I'm not the only guy that is having an impact on this offense. And we've seen it over and over and over again. Like you mentioned, KP, that Flores is still a finalist for the Houston Texans, but there's all these reports out there that they might hire Josh McCown who is in no way qualified to be the head coach of an NFL franchise when there's guys like Brian Flores who have worked their tails off for years and decades to get opportunities at these coveted jobs. And the NFL continues to say, we just don't care. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious. And Flores pointed out that the league's just run by dinosaurs. Like the owners are, they should not be, you know, in the think about it, it's 2022. Think about the the generations in which the general manager, the owners, they came up in. Think about what was going on during that time. Think about how they looked at black people then. It just it doesn't make sense. The Rooney rule was never going to work. They were never going to bring somebody in, look at them and think that they were equal. And this is why we're here. And this is why Flores is talking about this. Uh, You mentioned Eric Bieniemy. I cover a team who just played probably their worst quarter defensively of the season and still held a def- or an offense that had Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham to 20 points in a game, and they lost. So I, br- I bring that up to say D'Amico Ryans is a very special coach and one of the best defensive players in football. Fred Warner called him one of the most brilliant minds. This was his first year as a defensive coordinator. To think that D'Amico Ryans is the only one out there who is capable of doing this, capable of getting players to elevate their game, which is a big part of coaching. It's not just, you know, being a wizard in the X's and O's department, which Ryan's is, but you have to be able to relate to players, communicate with players and get the best out of them. You would think black coaches would do that. You could see, look around that that is exactly what's happening. So again, uh, there has to be a change up top for us to get there. And until that happens, I mean, we're going to be continue to chase our tail, but what Flores did was, was right because, you know, if we just keep poking more and more holes in this giant bubble, it's going to burst. And and maybe this was the, the tipping point for that. Two things here. I think one of the most important things is that he's naming names, right? Um, If we're talking about, you know, Rooney rule and how to get around from it, like we talked about with uh, the Raiders job when it opened up, right? And they interviewed a black candidate and they interviewed the interim coach. And my thought was, hey, that's what you do. You know, that's how teams act because we've seen them act in that way before when you want to go after a guy like a Harbaugh, right? Um, The fact that that's common is not good. Um, and the only way to stop that, I mean, if they're going through, you know, the Rooney rule stuff and it's just, you know, a check the box type of scenario, the only way to change things is by naming names. Um, and often a lot of people have said like, it's not the league structure that is necessarily wrong in these hiring practices. It's the people who are hiring the damn people. Right. And until people got to name names and, you know, obviously we've already said like, he's already kind of sticking his neck out and potentially, 
you know, harming his career by doing this and helping others, um, you know, in the same stroke. Until that happens, nothing's going to change. The other thing is people always bring up the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule is basically a way for the NFL to get um, to to avoid anti-discrimination lawsuits. That's why the Rooney rule exists. It's not because they're they want to be nice. It's, it's because they don't want to get sued. It's the same reason the NFL doesn't fight against, you know, the players union. Um, they need the players union because they're basically a giant cartel. And, you know, you get antitrust lawsuits if you don't have a players union. So they would ra- rather have a weak players union than not having one at all, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, sports works in this like weird space where they need things like, you know, a players union. They need things like a Rooney rule just so they don't get their, you know, butt sued when they do do shady stuff. Yeah, we, we've seen so many times over the years and it's been there like, you know, sometimes we don't get to see behind the closed doors, but in reporting, in news stories and stuff like that, we've seen over and over again, the NFL doesn't take the Rooney rule seriously. And, and they, they just think of it. As- I mean, the amount of times that they, they they just interview a guy who's, you know, down the hall is offensive. Yeah, right. I mean, that's where it get, becomes like you're not even this is just you're not even giving guys a shot. You're not yeah. even, you're not even fake hearing them out. Right. Where, you know, they're talking about Dayball had that thing locked up before Flores even took that first interview. It's like, you're not even getting, letting a guy have that first interview at all. Like that's absurd. Kubiak was hired as an offensive coordinator today. And Kubiak is a brilliant name in the NFL, but the, the name itself is why he has a job. And there's, I feel like, that's not saying much, but that happens a lot. Like nepotism is a thing in the NFL, but nepotism isn't a thing for black people in the NFL. And that's because we don't have the same pipelines. So this is how the NFL operates for it to continue to, or I guess for it to change, to get away from that. That's where there has to be some type of change, man. And again, it's not going to happen. And like, as we keep having the Kubiaks run through uh, the NFL. I think back to when the Raiders were hiring John Gruden. We knew from the jump they were hiring John Gruden. He was going to take that job. And that's based on reputable reporting. Like It was like, oh, it's a done deal. And the Raiders hadn't interviewed anybody else. And then the, it came up that, oh, that's a Rooney Rule violation. Then they did a couple of just fake interviews just to fulfill the commitment. And then they hired John Gruden. Now, they couldn't have known that, that was going to blow up the way that it did for them. But... That, again, is another highlight of why it's it's there, as you mentioned, just to insulate them from possible lawsuits. It's not there because they take it seriously and because they actually want more diverse hiring practices. They just look at it like, oh, it's, it's just a hoop we have to jump through. It, we don't take it seriously. And that's what this lawsuit is really highlighting. And a- another key in this thing is... It alleges that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered Flores $100,000 per loss in the 2019 Miami Dolphins season. And, you know, that was the year the Dolphins were trying to make a run for the number one overall pick. They had multiple first round picks. And supposedly, Stephen Ross offered Brian Flores this money, despite Brian Flores saying that's, you know, that goes against my principles. Um, In the lawsuit, it also alleges that he invited him to a yacht for a lunch in the winter of 2020, where a prominent quarterback showed up for an impromptu meeting. Flores was furious and stormed out. 
I, I think we can say that that was probably Deshaun Watson who showed up after all the reports early on that Stephen Ross really wanted Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson after he made it known that he did not want to be with the Houston Texans anymore. And then as soon as they decided to fire Brian Flores this offseason, after Brian Flores had a successful year, especially by Miami Dolphins standards, that, oh, no, it was Flores who wanted Watson, not Stephen Ross. And that was just ownership trying to tank the reputation of Brian Flores and saying he was the problem here in Miami. He's the one who wanted Watson. We, we wanted Tua all along. He was our guy. And that highlights another issue. It's the tanking and, and offering money up. When you talk about all the partnerships, the NFL's getting in bed with now when it comes to gambling and stuff like that, that seems like it's a crime. I, I don't really know how federal gambling rules work, but I would have to imagine you can't pay coaches to influence games when there's that much gambling money invested to it across the country now. And then the tampering stuff and the way that they smeared Brian Flores when he was on his way out the door, like those are all highlights of things that we, I feel like we know go on in the NFL, but again, he's putting a face to all of it. And he's saying, yeah, this is happening across the league. It's not just here, but these were the instances where I had to deal with it personally. What? So what comes with this? Like what, I have an idea of what Flores wants out of this. And, and as I said, it's probably going to be along the lines of, you know, just an overcorrection. And eventually, probably not five, probably not 10, but eventually the hope would be that, you know, hiring black coaches is just normalized and it's going to take a while to get there. But I guess my question is in the immediate future, what do you think Flores is looking for here? I mean, justice, right? I mean, that's what it has to be because, you know, your career – it's not going to be easy. I mean, I, I I don't know if he's going to get hired again or what or what's going to happen there. But I would be very he, surprised if he's hired. I mean, we've seen what happened with like Kaepernick and Jordan Reed and you know situations like that. So it, it's certainly not money. I mean, it seems more of like awareness and you know naming names. I guess is the way to kind of put it. And so the lawsuit is asking for relief in the form of several initiatives to bolster minority involvement in the NFL. That includes. Sourcing black investors to become potential NFL team owners, asking for black players and coaches to become part of a team's hiring process on head coaching and coordinator vacancies, require NFL teams to justify in writing their hiring and firing decisions, require NFL teams to supply side-by-side -side comparisons in record and resume when interviewing coaches, create a fund for a training program to promote lower-level black coaches to coordinator positions if they show the aptitude, incentivize the retention of black coaches and front office staff pay transparency for coaches of all levels across the NFL. All of that stuff sounds great. And, and, and I hope that this does lead to some of that stuff actually being implemented. But at the end of the day, I, I, I struggle with this a lot because I feel like the only way you're going to influence true change in the NFL is by changing ownership groups and by chain and by putting more people in different positions within the league, because it feels like this might be the, the biggest uh, stage that we've ever seen this on right now, depending on how this lawsuit plays out and moves forward. But it feels like we have these conversations a lot. And like, they do come up uh, especially during these hiring cycles every single year. And the NFL continues to just brush it off to the side and say, Oh no, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. So Outside of changing ownership, and maybe there is a circumstance where 
you know, Stephen Ross, if this is actually proven, like they can actually like force him out and get a new owner in there in Miami. I, I don't know how we can legitimately make sure that they're legitimizing these things and actually like following through on all of them. That's all that stuff is tough. One of the things that's come up recently, um, you know, it's been reported that Robert F. Smith, who's kind of like a hedge fund type of guy is interested in buying the Denver Broncos. I mean, he would become the first black owner of an NFL franchise. So maybe the changes kind of on the horizon from an ownership standpoint, but I would just say in general, like uh, don't trust the billionaires, you know, <laughs> like we, we need some sort of oversight in terms of this. And I think when owners hear the, these initiatives, I mean, they would like really hesitate at them because it basically, you know, kind of takes the power away from them and they want to run teams as they see fit and all that stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, they are private franchises. Um, the ownership stuff though, for the Steven Ross, you know, offering a hundred thousand dollars for, to lose football games. One, that number is entirely too low. I mean, Way from too a, low. <laughs> a reputation standpoint, First thing buddy. <laughs> who's Even, saying yes to that is the real question. I don't know. Uh, what was it? Uh, Hugh? Jackson. Hugh, he was baby. on Twitter and just said, you know, it was a good number. Trust me, it was a good number about <laughs> him in Cleveland. So, oh, I mean, Steve, you're Browns. You think about, you think about baseball got taken to court over steroids, right? Why would, if this stuff is proven, you know, there's any paper trail at all, you would think that the NFL is going to get taken to court, right? Like, this is going to be a huge deal to the point where, is it going to be like federally mandated that like, Hey, you can't have the NFL draft in the way that you have it structured because of the way that it incentivizes losing football games. Like that could be something that happens, man. We've seen like with college sports, you know, how, how many of these like hashtag traditional values, you know, end up getting torn down. And at some point they're saying, Hey, you know, the open market is going to solve these things. I mean, is the, like, are we going to see college free agency basically as like an open market thing? And you have to treat them that way. You can't have the draft, you know, might, might be a thing, man. Cause it is, it is, people bring it up all the time. Like the NFL draft, NBA draft, et cetera. It's like the only place where like, Hey, you're going into the workforce. We're choosing where you live. Like that doesn't usually happen in American life. So. Yeah. I, I do think like you were saying KP in the short term, we might see some kind of overcorrection, uh, but it's about long term making sure that these guys are held accountable for their hiring practices. And I think that's what this is all about. Uh, and also, everybody knows Jimmy Haslam's a scumbag. So it's not a surprise that, that he was offering Hugh Jackson money to throw games. <laughs> uh, but we haven't talked about the Bill Belichick text message just yet. And, and that role in all of this. And we were talking about it a little bit yesterday. Bill Belichick, obviously one of the greatest football minds we've ever seen, if not the greatest. I, I think that Bill Belichick is probably a very calculated person at his age. Maybe it is a slip up in technology, but I'm willing to get a little conspiracy theory here on Bill Belichick and assuming that maybe he knew what he was doing when he texted Brian Flores and, and slyly kind of like, hey, man. There's something here. You can do something with this. Screw the NFL. There you go, Brian. Doing you a solid. Uh, and that's what I – at first, I, te I told you guys, like, this is really fishy to be at the forefront of a lawsuit 
and to happen so quickly and just, yeah, again, just to be the name Bill Belichick to be involved, it felt a little fishy to me. But I guess the more you, you think about it, the more you read it, just the entire lawsuit and the more you piece together everything we know about Bill Belichick and his um, how he interacts in the social sphere. Uh, it was probably just the biggest fraudian slip ever, and it couldn't have happened at a worse time. And that's what the, Brian Flores probably needed to get this off the ground and get it up and running because a name like Bill Belichick at the forefront will cause people to take it seriously. But I think if you want to look at it just from, you know, it, it's tough to to take a lawsuit as serious as this is and, and make light of it. But it is pretty funny that Belichick is involved and he, he's, what, a 70-year-old man who doesn't know how to operate a phone. And he probably saw Brian and just went with it and, and reached out to a guy. But at the same time, uh, going back to the first part where um, he has to have a relationship with him, right? Like they have to be somewhat close to be reaching out to each other. And that's why at first I was like, man, still a little fishy. Yeah, I mean, he was an assistant coach for him for years. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just think about that. Like, of course they have a relationship together. I, I, I just chalk this up immediately to just boomers, man. It's, it's just boomers. Um, June Jones, who worked with us at the XFL, uh, he had been the head coach of the Falcons, head coach of Hawaii, head coach of SMU, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL, and then the Houston Roughnecks in uh, the XFL. He just recently, you know, was up uh, – for for the uh hawaii head coaching opening uh once again and then turned it down um he has an aol email still uh, every i was, I every was old shocked. coach every old writer like everybody who hot has mail. got 15 20 years of experience it's hotmail and aol emails and they still use them every day it's amazing and then i i've talked to guys like uh Nate Tice's dad, you know, obviously was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And he was talking about, you know, Brian Billick. Like one of the things with Brian Billick is like he was one of the first guys to like actually like use a computer, like a head coach that would like just have spreadsheets. And they were like, wow, that helped organizations so much. I mean, we're not too far removed from like actual cavemen, you know, running NFL programs. So like the fact that Bill Belichick doesn't know how to operate an iPhone does not shock me at all. I'm in the media at in the press box at games. You will see beat writers and people in the press box writing things down play by play on a piece of paper and a sheet. We have computers in front of us that actually have websites that organize exactly what's going on play by play with descriptors. We don't have to do this anymore, man. But again, that's what they're used to. It's just it, the dinosaur thinking, man. It, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's totally plausible that Bill Belichick just accidentally texted the wrong person because he's not good at using cell phones. Like I'm 32 years old and I think I've got a decent grasp on technology, but there's things that I don't understand, like TikTok. Like I'm just never going to mess with TikTok. That's just not something that's meant for me at this age of my life. <laughs> I have no interest in ever utilizing TikTok in any way, and it's just not going to happen. So I could understand that, but I prefer to believe the conspiracy theory a little bit more. Right? I just I just don't think Bill Belichick is like, hey, you know what would be fun? To enter my text in discovery. Like <laughs> in, a, in a massive lawsuit to take down the NFL. I feel like Bill's probably sent some texts that uh, he, do he doesn't necessarily want out there. So, yeah. But I mean, in the same regard, if it is him and the NFL is going to get pissed at anybody, like Bill's fine. Bill's not going anywhere. Bill's not going to lose his job 
because those text messages are being used as evidence in a lawsuit against the NFL. So I, I think Bill feels totally fine in all of this. He's just like, whatever. It was an accident. I, I didn't mean to do it. But again, there's a lot to unpack with this lawsuit. Um, and it's going to be a continued developing story for a long time, I would ma- imagine, a- at least for the near future. So we'll continue to update you on that as we get news and information on the story on the SB Nation NFL show. So make sure you're locked in right here. We'll have everything you need to know for that. But let's take a quick timeout. When we get back, we will get into that quarterback who decided to retire yesterday. And we'll discuss some of these conference title games a little bit here on NFL University. That's coming up next. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. Before we get into the conference championship games, we do have to discuss Tom Brady Finally retired, uh, made a really big deal about it. What was it, Saturday when Schefter reported that he was retiring and made a huge show of, no, I'm not. I I don't put words in my mouth. You'll know when I'm retiring and like went on his bad dog radio show and said the same thing and then followed it up on Tuesday and said, okay, I'm retiring. So I don't really know why Tom Brady made such a big deal about it, Uh, but he is officially retired. It sounds like he is done playing football. He is moving on with his life post NFL and I don't have much else to say about it other than, I mean, he's legitimately the greatest to ever do it. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Most winning quarterback of all time has like every record imaginable. Tom Brady is a cyborg and I don't understand how he was still doing that in his forties. Brady seems like the guy that will answer Frank Reich's call in the middle of the season and come back for a playoff run. (laughs) Um, is he done? Are we sure that he's done? I feel like that's where this conversation needs to go because, again, um, he. what else has he done his life? This is this is all he knows. And it's not as if he's, like, bad. <laughs> yeah, he, had a, he, had, he didn't play well, but his offensive line didn't play well, too, in his final game out, and that has a lot to do with Tom Brady. So knowing that, I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not fully convinced. I will believe it still. Um, at the end of next season, 
if Brady is done. But yeah, I mean, there's not much to say that that already hasn't been said. Uh, tremendous quarterback. Um, really, I, I think the older he got, the more he got comfortable with, you know, just social media. And, and that made him more likable for a lot of people. And because, you know, we don't get to really see what goes behind the curtains or what goes on behind the curtains for a lot of these players. So getting to peel back the onion on, on Brady was cool because again, like all we, all we know about is new England, uh, Belichick football is not fun. And we're starting to learn that that's just not true. That, that sayonara that he gave out where he like, he wasn't even talking about Pat's fans. He was basically just saying goodbye to Tampa Bay. That didn't feel like, the blowout retire like we did a bigger blowout retirement for Ben Roethlisberger than we did him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I believe he's retired for now. I believe he's done in Tampa. I'll tell you right. that. Um, you know, Tampa basically you know mortgaged their future a little bit to kind of run back that Super Bowl team and give it another run. Um, I don't know, man. Something something feels fishy here. And where do you, do you think he wants to end up somewhere specifically? I don't know. I mean. If you believe the report, you know, Joe Shad said that he was actually the guy who was uh, on that on that boat with uh, Flores and stuff like that in Miami. You know, it was right before he became a free agent. Um, he had talked about, you know, going to, to the Chargers. I mean, I remember we talked about the Chargers a whole ton. Um, I don't know if it's somewhere necessarily for him because he the gravity of him attracts so many other people that like his presence brings in, you know, Gronk brings in AB brings in, you know, guys like that, that I don't know if the location necessarily matters to him. I mean, if he was willing to go to Tampa, um, he'll probably be willing to go, you know, into an, another non major market. I guess the big question is just like how much of this family stuff, like actually true. Um, the other thing too, man, he hasn't been around his family for a full summer, like his whole life. Like he might just be like, these kids have bad vibes and be like, <laughs> by August, be like, I don't know, man, kids. a quarterback went down. Like, uh, maybe Damn, I should go to Indy. Wait, wait until he figures out uh, elementary math is not the elementary math you're used to, buddy. He will He's be going right to recitals and stuff. He's room. like, doc, I can't believe this. So, <laughs> I do feel like he is way less set up for post football life than like Peyton Manning is like Peyton Manning has really acclimated to not playing football, doing, you know, the Manning cast, Saturday Night Live, his commercials or whatever. Peyton Manning's got a sense of humor, and I think we've seen a little bit more of Tom Brady's sense of humor during his time in Tampa. Like, he has become a, a more fun personality as opposed to his time in New England, and I think some of that is just the New England culture. But if you believe every story we've ever heard of, about Tom Brady and what a competitive psycho he is, like – I feel like it's going to be really hard for him to just go on vacation and be like, I don't ever have to like get ready for training camp again or get ready for OTAs and that whole preparation process. I don't know. I feel like he's just not going to be ready for that the same way Peyton Manning was clearly ready for it when he retired. Pey Peyton, I mean, Peyton's whole thing is basically like, let me leverage this because I know you guys kind of like me and make a ton of money. Right. And make a ton of money. And I want to own a football team at some point. I don't necessarily see that for Tom, but like his whole thing right now is just like health and wellness stuff. And that's cool. But like, like you mentioned, he's a competitive psycho. Like <laughs> talking about health and wellness. This guy isn't right, man. This guy isn't well. He's a psycho. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see 
kind of what direction he goes. I mean, some quarterbacks have just frankly like walked away. We don't see Joe Montana, you know, everywhere plastered around. I mean, he did what he did uh, the Skechers deal. He did the Skechers deal. That's like the only time that we've seen, you know, him anytime recently. So maybe he just kind of like fades away, but that would be, it'd be weird if that retirement, right. The, the little post that he had where he's not even acknowledging new England very much is how he walks away. And then we just never see Tom Brady again after, you know, he's having a 10 episode series about his Super Bowls streamed on ESPN. That doesn't sound like Brady. No. I'm saying I, something's fishy. Uh, something's not adding up. I think me. he could take like the LeBron path where like LeBron goes to the Lakers, has this massively successful production company that he's using to make all kinds of content, like docu-series, movies, uh, internet, web, digital, whatever. I feel like Brady, that's the next step for him. I feel like he's going to try to, because Gronk did it a little bit. Like Gronk was in a couple B-rate movies and thought he was going to like go become an actor or something. I feel like Brady could really pursue something like that. When you talk about being a competitive psycho, like that's where my mind went. I think that if anything, he's going to, well, he already has his little media company, right? He's going to take that and develop it into something that is like Bezos level until he just can't function anymore. And yeah, I think that's, that's the direction he's going to go, honestly. Tom Brady's going to buy the NFL rights in like <laughs> right. 2035. Brady it. Yep. Brady plus. And just, the NFL on Brady plus. plus. And just go and like cross off at everybody that he's held a grudge against. Uh, oh, like over the years, beautiful. like the deflate gate stuff, like everybody – Everybody who ever pissed him off throughout his entire NFL career, he's just going to get rid of them. It's just the Giants, the Giants and the Eagles just playing Thursday night football every week. Just <laughs> can't believe you guys stole rings from me. Yeah, yeah, he's just pissed. He's just going to go out and spend the rest of his career going after Eli Manning for beating him in Super Bowls. Uh, we I will did- say, hey, Eli and Foles had the uh, retirement statements. Hey, thanks, Brady. Uh, right, like the moment that Brady retired, like they've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, They're like, This is our time to shine. He's for sure when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, he's gonna do like what Jordan did and just just take shots at everybody and his Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Like, it's like, I've been saving this up forever. I don't care if I pretend in the public eye that we're friends. Like, I don't like you, Eli. I don't like you, Nick. <laughs> you guys beat me. I- I'm not okay with it. He he's definitely gonna go that like he's definitely that Jordan level of like petty. I feel like when he actually gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. The other thing about the Hall of Fame, tough scene for Ben Roethlisberger. So now you're gonna get inducted the same year as Tom Brady. <laughs> oh, that's tough. And, and Steelers fans too. I mean, those tickets are gonna be hard to come by with all those damn Patriots fans flocking to Ken. So unfortunate for Big Ben, huh? Yeah, poor poor guy. He went out. <laughs> What was it? Uh, they what the Chiefs were up like forty-two to seven in his last game after he had already said goodbye when they snuck into the playoffs. Nothing panning out uh, right for Ben over the last month or so. And Brady was still just playing at an exceptionally high level. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, because he's gene editing. He's got the shoulder of a twenty-five-year-old. Yeah. They should they should show the highlights of their final seasons back to back or as, <laughs> just simultaneously in the same video. That would be hilarious. Oh man, that would be I. No, I wouldn't feel bad for Ben. No, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that in his uh, Hall of Fame enshrinement. We do have to mention the Washington football team is no longer the Washington football team. They are now the Washington Commanders, they announced this morning. 
Uh, that's their new team name moving forward. I don't know how you guys feel about this. We haven't talked about it. I think Washington football team was a better team name. Like I'm still going to keep calling them that I think for the foreseeable future. Commanders is boring. Who wants to say, who wants to say commanders football team? Yeah. Football team just felt like them because they're a mess anyway. And it just fits. So I'm not going with commanders. That's that name's not real to me. So not only are they using the commanders like the AAF team, they also like stole the hashtag from the San oh. Antonio camp. They're using the exact same thing. They basically were like, give me the AAF, the failed AAFs, uh, you know, b- team branding. And then we'll just like add some Washington stuff to it. Um, I think their name and their uniforms are now worse. This sucks, right? This has to suck for Washington fans. It also got leaked out early. Um, everyone kind of knew that this was going to be the team name like a month ago when they they gave it to like NBC Sports uh, Mid-Atlantic or something like that. And they basically just like had an unblurred version of the logo. And they were like, wait, is the team going to be named Commanders? And then just radio <laughs> silence for a month. And then, yeah, same patches show up. So I don't know, man. They should have been the pigs. They should have been the hogs. We needed a pig team. Everyone would have loved a pig team. We need a pig team. It like they have it, the colors, it, dude. It, they could have kept the colors, right? They could have like it. It's a shout out to like their best time in team history when they had all those people dressing up like pigs, you know, in the stands and stuff. This is so easy. They could have built up like the smallest bit of equity that they could have, you know, for what they're going through right now, especially. But, like, they're just like, hey, we're going to be the commanders. We're going to have, like, the Kevlar camo on, on, on the shoulder pads on the alternate jerseys. Our away jersey looks nothing like our home jersey. Our home jersey is just a worse version of what we had before. Why'd you do this? Who? who I want to see the pitch deck. I want to see the pitch deck. I need to know the names of the dudes at Nike that were like, yeah, we nailed it today. I do feel like there's way too many people who are working on things like this. And this is what over, over a year they had to f- get this figured out for it to not be better than it is. Like there's way too many people who were making sure there's naming rights and designing new uniforms and logos and stuff like that. There's way too many people and teams of people involved in this for it to be so disappointing in my opinion. Like you could have just been the Washington football team forever. And I would have been totally fine with it. This they, they probably kept I a lot of in the room. I would have just been yelling. We need to have pigs. Everyone would have loved the pig team. I promise you. Everyone would have loved the pig team. Pig yeah. team. Look, pig team approval rating would have had the highest approval rating in Washington, D.C. <laughs> period. <laughs> Low bar. Yeah. It definitely would have been funny. I would have been cool with that. That's better than the commanders without a doubt. But we do have to get to these conference title games and everything that ensued for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams to make it to the Super Bowl. We begin with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, just kind of falling apart uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh I went back and rewatched this game after the first watch. I was emotional and kind of struggling to really understand what even happened in this football game where the chiefs were kind of coasting in the first half, uh, went up at one point, 21 to three. And then it all kind of unraveled on this final play of the first half where Andy Reed apparently wanted to kick a field goal. Patrick Mahomes wanted to go for the touchdown. So Andy Reed let Patrick Mahomes run one more play. Uh, it didn't exactly work out. They got Tyree kill, got stuffed at the goal line. 
head into the locker room. And then it just totally unraveled from there. The Cincinnati Bengals did adjust their defense and kind of just said, we're just going to drop everybody back and, and make Patrick try to beat us that way. And Mahomes, I think coming off of the high of that spectacular Buffalo win and how, how miraculous it was and what an incredible game it was. I, I think Mahomes just kind of reverted to what we were seeing from him early in the season, which it was, okay, I'm trying to do too much. I'm just putting this thing on my back and I, I'm trying to score 50 yard touchdowns every time I'm on the field. And it just kind of imploded and the chiefs just didn't really have answers against the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was, it was a tough game to watch. It, it was a hard game to sit through once I realized like, oh no, they're going to lose this football game and they are not going to a third consecutive Super Bowl. I put, I waste a lot of time during the week looking at numbers and trying to find like the best possible bet I could make every Sunday. Last Sunday, that number was the Chiefs team total over 31. At halftime before that play, I thought, it was going to cash by the third quarter. Sure enough, <laughs> that end of the half play, which was monumentally dumb. There's no reason to do that. Knowing what type of players you have, they have some of the best players at the, their positions. They also have players who would lo who love and go out of their way to extend every play possible to like 17 seconds. There was no way in hell that they were going to be able to get a playoff that didn't involve Mahomes going one, two, three, throw it into the end zone. So to throw it before outside the end zone was just like, you never really giving yourself a chance. But um, yeah, Mahomes reverted back to like, like he was playing against TCU. It was weird to see, man. Um, I guess, I don't know if we've really seen a team play like that, but I don't know how much credit I'm going to give the Bengals for that. It, it just seemed like, um, he didn't know what to do. He looked lost. And, and we haven't really seen that version of Mahomes in a long, long time. And I mean, you can point the fingers at the coachings, like the play calling um, and, and on both sides of the ball too, like their defense, but it, it, it has to come back to the quarterback. You, you paid him all of this money because he is the greatest quarterback and we've seen the plays that he's made, but it was weird. And I don't know if you can coach around some of the things that he was doing or some of the mistakes that he was making. It was a weird tale of two halves, and it really felt like they lost so much momentum on that that last play. And again, of the, of that first half, they knew that that play was coming two plays ahead of time, right? I mean, they were at what it was like first and ten, for, or first and goal uh, from like the five yard line with like twelve seconds left or something. You knew you had, hey, if we go fast the first two plays, we can get a third play off, and that third play is going to end up being a field goal. All we can do is pass from here. I don't understand why they weren't ready for that situation. I know, you know, in the past we've always made fun of, you know, Andy Reid's clock management, but that seemed to like go away uh, as, you know, he basically just had Mahomes. He basically wasn't put in situations where he had to win games at the end of games. So clock management wasn't a big deal. That was terrible. Like everyone has to know that situation. High school kids are expected to know that situation. Like we, we got to dirt this. We got to throw this out of bounds, kick the damn field goal. That didn't make sense. The they were getting the ball back, right? Yes. Yeah. And so you, the whole point is to score, get the ball back, and score again. Not maybe hope you can score and then get the ball back. It it, it didn't make sense, maybe, as you said. And I, I didn't mean to interject or cut you off, but um, even as he's had Mahomes, like, and I'm sure Steve can speak to this as well, 
these clock management issues haven't gone anywhere. Like every time it comes up, it's an issue. Yeah. Right. It's, it's Andy just, he plays with the lead so much now because they score so much. It doesn't come up as often. I compare it quite regularly to Jamal Charles and his fumbling issues when he was a superstar for the chiefs. Jamal Charles was up near the top of the NFL every single season and fumbling, but he was incredible and he was an amazing player to watch. So we never talked about how bad he was at fumbling the football. It's the same thing with Andy Reid and his clock management. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't gotten better. They just score so much that they don't have to worry about it that often. And, you know, going into the second half of that game, like you talked about the, the bet that you place, the chiefs always cash that bet in the playoffs, right? Like Mahomes always pays that thing off. That's why it was so hard to even react to it in the moment. Like it was just, it felt like it was just him totally reverting and, and forgetting everything that he spent the last couple of years working on and getting better at to just, I got to do what I did at Texas tech and, and just drop 50. And it's just not going to work like that in the NFL, like him being patient and learning how to do that better as the season went on made the chiefs a devastating offense again. And then he just completely abandoned it in this game against the Bengals. I mean, that's the same story for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers for the most part had been playing within structure for two and a half years. And then against Detroit last week of the season, he was just like, nope, hero ball McCarthy stuff again. And then the playoffs, you see it again. So I don't know. That stuff was tough. Mahomes doing the TikTok dances that his brother does, you know, in the backfield <laughs> the entire second half was tough to see. The, the big guy who stepped up for Cincinnati, who I think, you know, probably isn't getting enough credit is Trey Hendrickson. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, that first whole half, I was waiting for him to make a play because I'm like, dude, if you're not going to put any pressure on Mahomes, like they're just going to torch you. And I even tweeted that out in the first half. And then second half, he's just out like gangbusters, man. Like, I don't know what, you know, what fire got lit up underneath him, but he looked like a totally different guy the second half. And he had a hell of a game. I want to talk to you guys about the Bengals, and we've had plenty of conversations about them this year. We, you know, we understand Joe Burrow is fantastic, ascending superstar quarterback, Jamar Chase, exceptional superstar caliber playmaker. And offensively, they've got a lot of talent. Offensive line's not great. Defense does enough to get you wins and be competitive. But is this the most inexplicable Super Bowl team you guys can think of? Because I feel like even when you Nick go Foles. back, like Nick Foles, a ball bounced off of someone's knee. But that offensive line was so, so good. Like you could at least point to a position group and say like, they're just better than everybody else on the field. Like I don't, the Bengals, I feel like we spent half the season criticizing Zach Taylor for not being a very good head coach. Well, but all of a sudden they find themselves <laughs> in a Super Bowl. I, I would say yes, based on what you said, considering their head coach, he is not good. If I were to make a list of head, the, the best head coach in the NFL, he would be in the bottom 10 and maybe even bottom five. That sounds very harsh when you consider what they've done and how, how far they, you know, they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. They're probably going to get blown out. But the fact that they're here is pretty amazing. Um, Joe Burrow has been awesome. As you said, Trey Hendrickson stepped they They had guys step up. Um, that's what you need. You need role players and just random players to step up. Um, but yeah, I, I would say yes to your question just because I have some strong feelings about Zach Taylor and that that like just every every time it seems like every game he he almost goes out of his way to put them in poor situations and the other team 
or the luck or just his star players will like make up for it, make up for like his blunders. I still, I still think it's that, that Eagles team, man. I lost so much money on that Eagles team. And I'm, <laughs> That's saying, why. I'm saying, I'm saying this is someone who lost like 300 bucks on, on this damn uh, chiefs Bengals game. Cause I, I, I had a uh, parlay with the chiefs money line. So I feel like you and everybody else me. in America probably had that. Yeah, rip me. DraftKings stock just went through the roof. I should be putting money <laughs> in the DraftKings stock instead of putting it on these dang games. But yeah, I still think it, dude, that Falcons Eagles game when Foles won, where an interception bounces off of a, like a safety's knee when he was trying to make an interception and they still catch it. There, there's no, I won, I lost money on that game. There was no way to convince me that that team was going to end up going on a run, beating that Vikings team, and then beating that Patriots team. I, I wouldn't have believed it. I literally wouldn't have believed it. I do remember. I mean, just think like last week. Think like, last week what um what happened in the Titans game. Tannehill throws two interceptions. That I'm pretty sure they outgained the Bengals. Uh, they went out of their way to lose that game, and still the Bengals were able to get by. In this game, the Chiefs were blowing the doors off the Bengals in the first half, like up until that drive, that final drive. And it didn't take the Chiefs much to get down the field on that drive either. So it wasn't as if they were struggling that half. You would have thought that that final score, if I would have told you the Chiefs were going to be at, what, the the three-yard line or whatever it was before the end of the half and the score was a score, you would have probably said the final score was going to be something like 41-14 or 41-20, something like that. Sure enough, nothing happens, but the 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 way the balls bounce for the Bengals, the luck that Taylor has had is unreal. Maybe Brady passes voodoo skills to Zach Taylor, man. I do think that this one hurts more, like than even the Chiefs Super Bowl loss, because the Chiefs are better. Like they're a better football team than the Cincinnati Bengals, and Much I know they're better. not in the Super Bowl and they lost, but they're a better football team. They should have won this game. They should have. Even if the Bengals came back, the Chiefs should have been able to figure something out to give you a shot at the end of the game. And, you know, I know they forced overtime, but they got the ball first in overtime, too, and did nothing with it and gave it right back to Cincinnati. And as soon as they did that, you were like, all right, well, now we can stop having discussions about the overtime rules, but the Chiefs are going to lose this game to the Bengals. And that's exactly what they did. It's it's frustrating because just because of what we've come to expect from Patrick Mahomes. And I think Aaron Rodgers gets some of this stuff too. And maybe it's unfair for how exceptional that they have been over the years, but this is one of those banner moments where you're going to be like, yeah, remember that time you totally fell apart against the Cincinnati Bengals at home in the AFC championship game. Like this is something touchdown favorites. (laughs) Yeah. Against a team that you were just better than. Like on paper, you were significantly better than them, and you should not have lost that football game, and you did. So Chiefs and Packers fans just hate watching the Super Bowl. Like we should be playing right now. <laughs> we should definitely be playing right now every year. So we do need to talk about this NFC title game. San Francisco 49ers fall to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, I think it's incredible that Matthew Stafford is going to a Super Bowl after you know, wasting his entire career in Detroit and his first season with the Rams. This game was it wasn't the most exciting playoff game necessarily. And I felt like both teams had a really good chance of winning this game at one point. And I know like Jaquiski Tart didn't make that interception and he went on Twitter and like apologized for it. I, I think that that's 
you know, that's, that's a tough play to make. Sometimes those things go your way and sometimes they don't. Uh, but I wasn't particularly impressed with either team offensively necessarily in this football game. But the thing that really stood out to me is like that Rams pass rush is going to crucify that Bengals <laughs> offensive line in the Super Bowl. They've been fantastic all playoffs. I'm surprised that that line opened up minus four because of that reason you just said. Smashed um, it. I got to win that money back. <laughs> that Bengals, that I'm gonna show Vegas back. this time. <laughs> but yeah, what you what you said is exactly what happened. So the the first two times these teams played, it was the 49ers on the trenches that were just like manhandling the Rams on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And this time it was the Rams who I don't know what they did, but they haven't played this hard, like that aggressive. That I don't want to say reckless, but that's essentially how they played. It was like a reckless abandoned style and I think they just kind of shocked the 49ers, man. They were they were pushing them back, and they couldn't do anything on the ground. And when you don't do anything on the ground, that means your quarterback has to make plays through the air. And when that happens and your quarterback is Jimmy Garoppolo, as we've seen, bad things are bound to happen. Um, down the stretch when they needed him, Jimmy couldn't come through. But to be fair, it, it as I said, like the defense had a chance to get off the field plenty of times. And when you go – when you – when you give up 11 of 18 on third downs, you probably don't deserve to win. And it sucks just because seven t- seven points through three quarters against like that high octane of an offense is very good. But when you get outscored in the fourth quarter, 13-0, um, and, y- and you have so many situations, like the second and one, Eric Weddle was the best player on the field in the fourth quarter, which is nuts to say out loud because he was doing what we were doing a couple weeks ago. But – Weddle, Weddle on second and one, knife through the line of scrimmage, tackle for loss. And then they try to run this trick play-ish off of Trent Williams. And instead of giving it to Debo Samuel, who, good football player, uh, they go to their fullback up the middle, right where the Rams' strength has been all game, do not convert on third and two. Then they punt the ball back to Matt Stafford, who, as I mentioned, they, haven't, they hadn't been scoring points. But they had three drives over 60 yards to that point. And the 49ers were pretty lucky that, you know, the Rams hadn't scored. Like Cup had dropped a pass wide open over the middle. Um, I forgot what his name is. Number 18 dropped a deep pass, like a deep pass. Yeah, Skoranek dropped a post where uh, Jimmy Ward talked about that play where he was just staring at one route, not thinking that they would throw it. And sure enough, Stafford threw it, which that's, you know, Stafford golf right there. But, I mean – they were very fortunate to be in that situation. And I think when you talk about not being impressed with the offenses, I wasn't impressed with the coaches because they dropped the ball time after time in this game. And they, for whatever reason, Shanahan and McVay go into this conservative mode. And I don't know if it's because they know each other, like they know exactly what each other is going to do in that exact moment often, but they just didn't really play to win. And they were both playing to lose and, and the 49ers ended up making the most mistakes. So it, the Rams winning saved Sean McVay from being like, you know, the, the real goat here. But uh, yeah, Shanahan, he just has to play to win. Eventually, one of these years is going to figure it out, but uh, not this year, unfortunately. It sucks because he is so good in so many areas, like legit top three in probably any coaching category there is until it comes down to like fourth downs and just being aggressive, which ugh, it's a pain to watch, man. And I don't even think it was necessarily fourth downs. Like, uh, what was it? The second to last drive that they had is like really when you felt Shanahan get tight. 
and went three and out. Never got Debo the ball. Never got Kittle the ball. Like it's like, whoa, what are we doing here? It, it I, I think the Rams had scored the drive before, and I put it in the group chat, and I was like, if I know anything about Kyle Shanahan, he's punting this next drive. Like yeah. he's just gonna get too tight, and he's just gonna end up punting. And then they had that weird that fourth down thing where they were like, yeah, we were never gonna go for it. And it's like you. No, you probably should have done that, right? <laughs> you probably in his mind, he, he thinks he didn't do anything wrong because they have – this is where the dinosaur-level thinking comes from. So they think because they have a good defense, their defense is going to get them a stop. How you should think of it as because I have a good defense, I can be that much more aggressive on offense knowing that if I – like knowing that my defense will hold them to three points. Three points in that situation, no matter what happens on fourth down, is okay because, as I said, they've been moving the ball all game. They were going to get to midfield. There was no evidence that you were going to prevent them from getting to midfield. Uh, his game flow, like his managing of the game flow is just disastrous all the time. And, yeah, as you said, like he gets tied at the weirdest spots. But at the end of the half, he lets Jimmy sling it around every game. But for whatever reason, uh, not when they need to make plays, man. It's like the six minute mark is where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't trust Shanahan. The six minute to like three minute mark is where you're like, I don't trust Shanahan for for a second. The other thing that I think really hurt San Francisco. I mean, going into that Green Bay Packers game, they had averaged something like 190 yards on the ground over Shanahan's uh, tenure. You know, in the playoffs. You know, we're talking specifically. They were able to. They they got like 60 yards on the ground against Green Bay. They weren't able to run the ball in this game. I don't know. Is, is there something out there that's written about what's going on? Because I know the Rams, if you look at how they deployed their personnel, the Rams played defense in a completely different way than they had played the rest of the season, which is basically like we're going to use our nose tackle bodies at defensive end, and we're going to use our defensive end guy you know, at nose tackle because we know Shanahan doesn't really want to run inside. He wants to run and get to the edge, and he'll do – all these things to get to it, right? He'll run outside zone. They'll use two tight ends. They'll put all the tight ends on one side of the formation, all the wide receivers on the other side of the formation. They'll run weird pin and pull stuff that other teams don't run. They'll give end arounds to Debo Samuel. They'll have him line up in the backfield. They'll do all these little things to get any sort of daylight on the edge. And they were just like, hey, we're going to put a giant body over here. Now what are you going to do? And they just weren't able to run the ball. Yeah, and one of their counters was so the 49ers pre-snap motion more than any team in the NFL. Everybody knows that. And one of the reasons they do that is so they can have their guards who aren't the most athletic try to climb to the second level and, you know, cut them off. So one of the things that the Rams were doing is when the 49ers were going pre-snap motion, Kittle said this, uh, they would just send their backers up the middle, like up the B gap, up the A gap, and just like trigger on the motion. And that just blew everything up. So the Rams had wrinkles that the 49ers weren't ready for. And to your, to your point, to your question, uh, I think the Packers and the Rams are uniquely built to, to stop them. And when I say stop, I use that loosely, but not every team has these giant athletic bodies to be able to, you know, hang with the Trent Williams and um, just the guys that they have on the edge. So, and I'm not saying that they're in the same class as Williams, but just to have the type of body types to be able to, you know, compete with the, those type of guys uh, does make a difference. And, you know, they're fast and they're big. And I mean, they've shown over the over the course of the year that, you know, the, both defenses can make plays. So you, I guess you do have to give credit to that side of the ball. But, yeah, um, you can run inside zone. You can do run deal, run power, do, run something downhill at the guys. And uh, they never really did that. Yeah. I mean, the the big. The big play offensively 
for the San Francisco 49ers against the Packers in the divisional round was that trap play yep. to use check. And I would have thought like they would have gone to that a couple of times, you know, given what, you know, the Rams were lining up in and it just seemed like it was like never in the game plan. So I don't know. I, I, I think there's wrinkles that they could have added um, into that game plan. I think if they play again with the same strategy, it'll look a little different, but I am a little worried about the the rushing output for the Niners you know, with the last two games. And maybe that's the self-reflection point that Shanahan needs where he's like, look, if we can't run the ball for 190 yards per game on the ground, like, can we afford to have Jimmy at quarterback? Because if not, then that's when we need to make the switch. Yeah. He talked about making the switch earlier in this, or he's talking about in his exit interview the other day, how he was close to making a switch when the team was three and five and their win. And then the winning streak obviously changed things, but uh, something tells me they're not going to have a problem running the ball anymore. All of this is, in my opinion, and it's what I'm afraid of, is leading to a Super Bowl where the Rams should easily be the favorite in this thing. And Sean McVay is just going to disappoint me the way he did when he played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which is still one of the worst Super Bowls I've ever seen in my life. And I really hope that they don't let me down that way this time. But as 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 inexplicable as this NFL season has been at times, it would just make sense for Zach Taylor and the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl this year. It would make a lot of sense just because the season has been a disaster. Nothing's made sense. So, of course, the team that a lot of people spent ripping all offseason that were a fake team for choosing a wide receiver over an offensive lineman, how beautiful would that be if Jamar Chase was a Super Bowl MVP? I can't afford to lose this much money. <laughs> this isn't funny. This isn't funny. You guys want to get on a, head, head on a chase bet. There you go. I'm going to be on the street corner, you know, zooming into these things. <laughs> like, what are we talking about, guys? Come on. I need I need, I need the Rams to win. Well, uh, I already warned uh, Kissed in, in our production meeting uh, this past week that, like, this whole next week, I'm just prop bets guy. I hope you guys understand that. Like, we are doing some degeneracy. I've put money on a Kendrick Bourne first touchdown scored in Super Bowl before. <laughs> like, do not tempt me with a good time. Good Lord, man. <laughs> so, you can stay locked in right here to the SB Nation NFL show. Uh, we got plenty of great content for you coming out over the next couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, including justice's gambling advice we'll have plenty of that all next week as we're getting you ready for this game between the rams and the Bengals. uh you can follow justice on twitter at j-u-m-o-s-q you can follow kp at kp underscore show as always please make sure you subscribe rate and review everything that we're doing on the sb nation nfl show and make sure you check us out on spotify you can subscribe and rate over there now as well i'm steven serta that's where you can find me we'll talk to you guys next week Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.